people said amen. Thank you. God bless you. You can be seated. I'm telling you what, the reality of that song is just so full because Jesus absolutely paid everything. Not a part of it, not a down payment, not a security deposit. Thank God he paid everything. And that's the great news of the gospel. Well, today we're going to continue in our series, It's Crazy. And what we want to just kind of present to you today is that it's crazy for God to give us his great plan and then us not be a part of it. Matthew cha- or Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. That's his plan. Not that the church sits here and says, world, come. But those of us who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, who has paid it all, we buy into that plan and we go. And it's absolutely crazy for us not to have a part of, be a part of it in some way. Today, you're going to have a couple of ways to be a part of it. Next week is our WAC Sunday. Some of the gifts up here you see, or all of the gifts, uh, will go to our provision closet in Nashville, Tennessee. And it's a place where our home missions, foreign missions, can, missionaries can come in. And as they're either going from the home mission field or from stateside to foreign fields or going to set up shop as home missionaries, they can go and just get stuff free of charge. So your gifts that you give may go around the world. It may go to uh, Ogden, Utah. Just don't know where it's going to go to minister. And so as you leave, you can either see um, Brenda Blackburn in the script window and buy some Myers gift certificate and just say, you know, let somebody else do the shopping for me. Or you can go to around to the bifold doors and they'll have some kind of business card kind of things where you can go and shop and, and have some suggestions. But the point is, is that it's absolutely crazy for God to give us his plan to go into all the world and for us to sit back and say, mm-mm, I ain't going to be a part of that. That's ridiculous. So today, there's one other way I want you to kind of be a part of this, is I want you to open your heart up and listen to our home missionary, Tim Lewis. Tim was with us several years back, and uh, he and his wife, Jessica, are are missionaries to Ogden, Utah. Ogden is on the north end of Salt Lake City. It's 60% Mormon. Less than 5% of, of that area has an evangelical Christian church. And of that city of 220,000, 160,000 are Mormon, and the balance of that would fall into the Protestant or evangelical camp. He is on the front lines out there going and preaching the gospel to the world. His wife Jessica is here. Where's Jessica? Thank you. Do you have Miley with you, or is she in the nursery? All right, I'll scoop up Miley. She's 22 months. They have uh, two other children, uh, Ashton and Logan, 10 and 7. He graduated from Free Will Baptist Bible College in uh, 1995. He has served as youth pastor for five years, and he's been serving as our home missionary in Ogden, Utah, northern suburb of Salt Lake City for since the year 2000. I am thrilled to have Tim and Jessica Lewis with us today. I want you to open your heart up as he comes and shares the word of God with us. Would you give him a nice Kirby welcome as he comes to share God's word today? Well, good morning. It's nice to be back with you guys again. Somebody has already made my day today by telling me that they remembered me being here nine years ago and 
anybody that can remember me from nine years ago, that just kind of made me feel good about myself, so thanks for puffing me up a little bit this morning. Um, but how many of you do remember, it was, it's been about nine years ago that, that we were here where we were preparing to go to Utah, and um, uh, I know you've grown quite a bit since then, and holy cow, I love your new building. I know this was a long time coming, and your new facilities are just beautiful here, and I know you're excited to be in them, and I just wanted to let you guys know some of you have been very faithful in supporting us over the last nine years, and I just wish I had time this morning to, to, to stop and tell you about our ministry and everything God has done there and time just doesn't permit to squeeze it all in, but I'd love to talk to, with you about it after service today. If you'd like to, uh, to take this time to stop and chat or to see some pictures of what, what God has been doing, I'd love to show you that and share that with you guys. And, and again, thank you so much, those of you who have prayed for us over the years and um, supported us. I've, I've told people on several occasions I could write a book on how not to start a church um, at this point. There's a lot of books on church planning out there that will tell you how to do it. I could write the book on how not to do it. And um, God is blessed despite all of that in just incredible ways. And he's been good to us. But I just wanted to share with you a little bit uh, this morning what God has laid on my heart and challenge you a little bit uh, uh, regarding this series you guys are in called It's Crazy. And as Pastor Mike just said, it's crazy when God, Jesus, tells us to go and we stay. And in keeping with that, I want to play a little game with you to begin today. This is kind of a celebrity guess who game. I'm going to have some pictures put up on the screen. We'll start easier and we'll get harder. Some of these are kind of before and after, and some of them are kind of after and before. And we'll see. Now, don't say them all out loud at once, but just raise your hand if you know who these are. You can go ahead with that first one. This is a famous celebrity just as a very young man. This is easy. Raise your hand if you recognize who that is. And the answer is Kurt Russell. I couldn't, sorry, I couldn't find a more better after picture than that one to put up there of Kurt Russell. All right, what's our next one? We'll get a little bit harder. Oh, these are backwards. That's the before. I got those in there wrong. That's Beaver. We all know the before. Here's the after, what he looks like. Would you have recognized him today? He looks exactly the same as he did when he was six years old. All right, what's the next one? This one's, I don't know, we'll see. This one's a little tougher. The adult picture first, yeah. All right, how many know who this is? One. Who is it? Who? No? Jan Brady, yeah. Give us the after picture. Very good. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. We have just, my kids have discovered the joys of the Brady Bunch. Just re, that was a bad show when it was a new show, but, <laughs> but my kids love it. So we watch a lot of Brady Bunch at my house. All right. Anybody recognize this guy? You might not know his name. Yeah, that's right. You might not know his name. His name is Peter Billingsley, but you'll recognize him in the after picture. The best, the best Christmas, well, maybe that and It's a Wonderful Life, the two best Christmas movies of all time, but that's Peter Billingsley. All right, I've got one more I'm going to show you in just a second, but this one, I guarantee you, everybody in here will get this one. 
In fact, I would go out on a limb and venture to say this next picture I'm going to put up on the screen, that you could leave this room and go down the streets of this city, and 99.9% of all of the people you would pass over eight years old would be able to get this one instantly. Somebody tell me, who is this? Anybody not know who that is? We've all learned to recognize the artist's conception, the way Jesus is commonly pictured. And virtually anybody in America, if they've never darkened the doors of a church, if they've never opened a Bible in their life, they could look at that picture and tell you who that is. And yet how we answer the question, who is Jesus, is the most crucial question we will ever answer in our entire lives. Who is Jesus? And I want us to think this morning about the way in which we answer that question, how it affects my worldview, how it affects the way I view everything around me. The way you answer the question, who is Jesus, should affect the way you spend your money. It should affect the way the decisions you make on a daily basis. It affects the way you live your life on a daily basis. And the question isn't anything new. People have been asking it since Jesus first arrived on the scene. You might remember he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And his disciples, after he had calmed the storm, you remember what they said? Who is this man? The Pharisees and the Sanhedrin asked him at his trial, are you the Christ, the Son of God? Pilate asked him in his trial, tell me, are you the King of the Jews? Saul asked him when he met him on the road to Damascus, he said, Who are you, Lord? So the way we answer this question is crucial because, see, if you answer the question, Who is Jesus, by saying he's just one religious option out of a host of other religious options that are all equally good and that are all equally valid, well, then you might take a great deal of comfort in knowing Jesus is your personal Savior. But if he's just one choice in a laundry list of many, You won't feel compelled at all to have to go and share him with other people. If you answer the question, who is Jesus, just by saying, well, he's a great moral teacher, well, then you can just read the Bible and pick out the parts you like and put away the rest that you don't like. And what concerns me as I look around the the Christian church today and sometimes even as I look in my own heart is how in our culture today, it's our culture that influences our worldview much more than God's word, even as Christians. This idea of pluralism that's kind of the spirit of our age in America, that, that you can kind of believe whatever you want, and all paths are going to end up in the same place, and it all leads to God, and we'll all be okay in the end. We, that kind of thinking we see creeping even into the church. Because here's what happens. If I ask you today to answer the question, who is Jesus?, Everybody here, if you've been around the church very long, you know how to answer it. And you could give a laundry list of answers that would all be true and correct. We would say Jesus is, he's the son of God, Jesus is God incarnate, he's God in the flesh, he's our savior, he's our sacrifice. We could give you a whole laundry list of answers to that that would all be accurate. But do we really believe the things we say we believe? If we really really believe all those things are true, that has a profound impact on our life. But what happens is in a pluralistic society like ours where it's kind of just all good, then 
um, you can say, I believe Jesus is my savior, that he died for my sins, and that's fine. Nobody has a problem with that. That's wonderful if it works for you. If it gives you comfort, if it gives you hope, then that's great. But when you start to say, I also believe Jesus is the only hope for lost mankind and that every person on the face of this planet apart from Jesus Christ who doesn't know him, they are lost and will spend an eternity apart from God in hell. Then you start getting, now wait a minute. What about those people who haven't heard? Or maybe they just didn't understand. God wouldn't really send them to hell, would he? And that kind of talk makes even Christians uncomfortable. There's a view even among evangelicals now that's being promoted called the wider hope theory. The wider hope theory basically says that people who uh, are actively rejecting the gospel, actively rejecting Jesus, they will go to hell. but, But God has some other means for dealing with those who are sincerely seeking the truth and just haven't heard about Jesus which sounds really good, makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. And our thinking today is a lot more affected by what makes us feel warm and fuzzy than it is by what is true. And there's several problems with that kind of thinking when you, when you stop long enough to think about it. First of all, if just sincerely seeking the truth saves, then it's the only area in our life in which it does. Sincerity doesn't save us in any other area. If you gave me a bottle of arsenic today and I drank it, truly believing it was Sprite. I don't know if arsenic's clear or not, but in my mind it is. So let's say you put it in a Sprite bottle and you added some bubbles to it. And I sincerely believed with all of my heart, as honestly as I could, this arsenic was Sprite. Does that mean I'm not going to be poisoned? Of course not. If I left the top down on my convertible today, my imaginary convertible... If I left the top down, sincerely believing with all my heart, it's not going to rain today. And I really believed it. I mean, I meant it with every ounce of my being. Guess what? My leather upholstery is still going to get ruined sitting out in the rain. So if sincerity saves, this is the only area in which sincerity saves. The second thing, the problem with this kind of thinking that we often have today is if that people who haven't heard of Jesus are somehow okay and God has another means for dealing with them, then I would like to be one of them. Because it's really cruel for God to tell me to go and tell them if they're okay now. So you and I are already accountable. We've heard. But if they're already okay and they haven't heard, then it makes Jesus really cruel to tell us, hey, go tell them and make them accountable. Because then they have the opportunity to reject it and they would be lost. So if they're already okay, we need to stop sending missionaries. We need to stop reaching out to our community. We need to close this church down right now. People are better off without hearing. Thirdly, one scholar has said, or one writer said, you can't prove from Scripture that there has never been any person Um, that nobody has ever been saved through some means other than through Jesus Christ. You can't prove from Scripture that it has never happened. But neither can you prove from Scripture that it ever has happened. And the end reality is this. If Scripture is what determines our worldview, God has told us very clearly that people apart from Christ are lost. 
Now, there might be some answers to tough questions that God hasn't given me, and that's okay. He's God, and I'm not, and he doesn't have to answer every question I have. But the one thing we know is that God will deal justly with those who haven't heard. And there won't be anybody in hell saying, this isn't fair. But we do know Jesus has told us, you go and tell them. And the one thing Scripture is clear on is Jesus is the only hope for lost mankind. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life No man, nobody comes to the Father but by me. It's about as exclusive as you can get. The apostles understood that, Acts chapter 3. There's no other name under heaven given unto men by which they must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy says, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. So the one thing scripture makes clear is Jesus is the only hope for mankind. So the question for us is, do we really believe that? Because we all know to say it. But if we really believe it, it affects our lives in several profound ways. If we really believe that Jesus is the only truth, that he is the only hope for every person on the face of this planet, number one, that will cause us to live our lives with a sense of urgency. But I can't help but tell other people about him. If I really believe my neighbors across the street and my coworkers that they're lost apart from Jesus, I'll have a little bit of urgency about telling them about him. Well, I'll be like the Apostle Paul who said, Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. See, if people are okay apart from Christ, everything we're doing here is a waste. We're spending a ton of money needlessly if they're okay without Jesus. The money we invest in trying to reach our community, the money we invest in missions, we're just throwing it down the drain. Unless Jesus really is the only hope for mankind. If he is really the only hope, man, that gives us a sense of urgency that I have got to share. How on earth could I not share the good news? And can I just say this? To be a little blunt, there, there's something wrong if we can claim that Jesus is the only hope and not feel any compulsion at all to share him with others. The best I can figure it, that the, the only way that could happen, that we could say we believe this and feel no need to share him with others, the only way that could happen is either, number one, I really don't believe the things I say I believe. And I've just learned to mouth the right things, but I I really don't believe Jesus is the only hope. Or, number two, I've never really met Jesus myself. I can't come up with any other answers for how we could arrive at that place. If we really believe Jesus is the only hope, it gives us some sense of urgency in our life, some motivation to share him with others. Secondly, if Jesus is really the only hope for mankind and people are lost without him, it causes us to live our, lives as, live our lives as willing sacrifices because we have a model to imitate. There's a guy in England in the 1800s named C.T. Studd. Anybody heard of him? Famous cricket player. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with cricket. I guess it's big in England. About all I know about cricket is they have a flat bat and they bounce the ball up there. And that's about it. But it, it, apparently it's huge in England. It was more huge then. And he, C.T. Studd 
was to cricket in the 1800s what LeBron James is to basketball in America today or what Tiger Woods is to golf. He was huge. He was a celebrity. If they had Wheaties, he would have been on the cover of the box. Um, Made a lot of money. And at the height of his popularity, at the height of his career, he walked away from all of it to be a pioneer missionary to Africa and um, Asia. And here's why he said that he did that. He said, if Christ be God and gave himself for me, then there is no sacrifice I can make for him that is too great. See what he's saying there? If Christ really is God, if he really did what he said he did, if Philippians chapter 2 really is true, and that Christ was fully God in every sense of the word, and he emptied himself, becoming one of us, if he really took the price for our sin on his shoulders, and he paid a debt I couldn't pay, like we just sang, if all of that is really true, then there is no sacrifice. There's nothing he could ask us to do that we should even view as a sacrifice. If he asked me to send, go to Mongolia or the uttermost parts of the earth, that's not a sacrifice in light of what he has done for me. And yet we act like it's some sort of huge sacrifice that he might want me to give a little bit so somebody else can go. Or it's some sort of huge sacrifice and burden that he might want me to share the good news with my friends or neighbors or my coworkers because they might, they might think I'm a little odd if I do that. We act like it's some sort of incredible burden to share this good news when in reality, if we really understood what Christ did for us, there's nothing he could ask us to do that would be a sacrifice. Thirdly, if all of this is true, we respond to all of this. If Jesus really is the truth, we respond with an attitude of love. That he initiates and we respond. Let me try to explain what I mean by that. There's a pioneer missionary in 1800s to Burma, what is today Myanmar, named Adoniram Judson. And if you've never read his biography, I, man, I would encourage you. It's one of the most fantastic things I've ever read. He went to Burma, gave his life there with very little in the way of vis- visual results. After, after uh, I think, 12 or 13 years in Burma, he had two converts, two women that he had led to the Lord. Nearly the entire time he was there, he, was, he spent months and months and months and months just flat on his back, just sick as a dog. Spent years and years and years in jail and filthy prisons, uh, one after another, little huts with 30 other men. And the miraculous part out of all of this is how, even though he had very little in terms of converts from his ministry... He did accomplish the first translation of the New Testament into the Burmese language that he labored over for years. And um, some miraculous stories how God preserved that manuscript as he was working on it. So accurate that today when groups like Wycliffe Bible Translators do translation, they'll have a team of scholars working on it. They still use his in Myanmar today. It is that accurate. Looked at it, we can't improve on it. Out of that... Thousands, if not millions of people, have come to faith in Christ. 
But I want to read you a part of the letter. Here is what he wrote to his future father-in-law asking for his daughter's hand in marriage. Now, you dads, imagine this is your little girl and what your response would be. Here's what he said. He said, I have to now ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps even violent death. Adoniram Judson was a a great missionary. He was a horrible diplomat. I think I could have dressed that up a little bit better than that. But talk about being brutally honest. Hey, sir, I'd like to marry your daughter, and here's what might happen. You'll probably never see her again. She's going to have a tough life. I can't promise you I'll even be able to care for her. She might face suffering, persecution, and even death. What do you think? Can we hammer out something here? By the way, every single one of Judson's predictions regarding his wife came true. He buried her within just his first few years of having gone to Burma. In fact, he buried two wives in Burma. I lost track of how many children when I was reading it. It seemed like at least five or six. Matter of factly, little Tommy died. He was two. We buried him here. Little Susie died. She was 16 months. We buried her here. Later in his life... Judson came back to America where they paraded him around different churches. He's the famous visiting missionary. He said, man, this isn't what I want. I want to be back in Burma. So as an old man, he went back to Burma where he got sick again. And what they did with people with those tropical diseases at that time, they'd put you out to sea. Hopefully the sea air would heal you up. They put him out to, the, put him out to sea where he died on the ship and his body was unceremoniously dumped overboard That was the burial he got for a lifetime of work. And I read accounts like that and I go, what on earth would possess somebody to live their life in that kind of hardship? Burying one wife after another, one child after another. Why on earth would anybody put themselves through that in sickness, in prison? Why? And you see why in that same letter he wrote to his future father-in-law, here was why he said it was worth it. He said, can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly throne and who died for her and for you? For the sake of the perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory? with the crown of righteousness brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from the heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Could you consent to all of this? Because eternity is forever. And even though you may never see your daughter again in this life, you're going to spend eternity with her. Can you consent to all of this in this kind of hardship? Because Jesus is the only hope of salvation and they have never heard Wouldn't it be worth it for that? Wouldn't it be worth it, mom and dads, 
to let go of your kids. Follow through on the commitment many of you made when you stood in front of this church or another church and you gave that kid to God. Wouldn't it be worth it to say, God, you take them wherever they need to go. And if it's the other most parts of the earth, I'll miss them. It'll be hard, but I'm going to have all eternity with them. I don't have to hang on to them. Moms and dads, isn't it worth it for the sake of people who have never heard to let go of our kids? Isn't it worth it to live a life of urgency in order to passionately share the good news of Christ with our neighbors who have never heard? To really believe the things we say that we believe or to live the things we say we believe. Let me read you this one last quote and I will um, stop. (laughs) Here's what C.S. Lewis said in answer to this question. This idea that so many have today that Jesus is just a great teacher, that he is just one way to God. Some of you will have heard this before. It's often referred to as his trilemma. He said this regarding Jesus just being one option among many. He said, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. The list of options on who Christ is is relatively short. If Jesus said he was God... And it wasn't so, and he knew it wasn't so. That makes him a liar. He's not a great teacher. We shouldn't listen to anything he said. If he said he was God, believing it to be true, and it wasn't true, that makes him crazy on the level of Charles Manson. And we shouldn't believe anything he said. The problem is none of the evidence points to liar or lunatic. There's an empty tomb that points to Jesus being Lord. But if he really is Lord, and he really is the only hope for a lost mankind, that changes everything about the way we view the world around us. It changes everything about the way we live our lives. The question today is, who do you believe Jesus is? Who do you really believe Jesus is? Not the answer you've learned to give. Not the pat answer you know to give off. But deep in your heart, do you really believe Jesus is your only hope and that you are hopelessly lost apart from him and apart from his grace? But not only that, everybody else you know is hopelessly lost apart from his grace. Do you really believe that? If we do, man, it changes everything. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and just pray with me this morning. Isn't it crazy to say that we really believe Jesus is the only hope for mankind and do nothing about it?
God doesn't call us all to service in Burma. Doesn't call us all to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. But he does call us all to go across the street, to work, in our community. Isn't it crazy to say we believe he's the only hope and do nothing about it? Why don't you stand with me as we pray today? Father, we pray that the words, the things we say we believe become more than just doctrine that we know to spout that it'll be more than just a creed that we know how to mouth but Lord that our faith in you would affect the way we view our world on a daily basis God forgive us of our apathy give us a sense of urgency for the lost and in a world that constantly pressures us to think everybody's okay Lord, help us to realize the truth of your word, that you are the only hope for a lost and hurting world. God, we thank you for your grace today. We thank you for your mercy to us. We pray that you would speak to us now. And we pray all of these things.